following podcast has not been rated. You're listening to Fullbacks Are People Too, The Fapt, and here is your host, C.J. Newman. Hey, 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 you're listening to Fullbacks Are People Too, with me, C.J. Newman. I'm going to cut the shit here and get right to it. I've got at the real Forno and at PFTP and Posse returning once again. We talked for almost two hours about random NFL topics, uh, including the uh, firing of John D. Filippo, the offensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings, how the Browns are still in contention for the playoffs. You'll hear me say that once or twice. And a couple other topics that are uh, going on in the NFL right now. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and bring you on at the real Forno and at PFTP and Posse. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the FAPT. This week's uh, podcast, I've got two guest hosts. Once again, I got Tyler Forness, that's at The Real Forno, and uh, Bobby, the Recliner QB. He was uh, at PFTPM Posse. How are you guys doing today? Doing really well, CJ. How are you? I'm pretty damn good, Bobby. Doing great. How are you? Well, actually, we know how you're doing, so. Yeah, well, we covered that, so <laughs> let's... uh. Let's go ahead and talk some football today. How about that? How about uh, you guys want to talk football on a football podcast or just want to talk about something else? No, I'm thinking rhythmic gymnastics sounds pretty good. Yeah, I'm, I was thinking underwater basket weaving, maybe cheese appreciation. <laughs> how about a little bit of curling? Oh, curling. Yeah. Oh, we that. love curling in Minnesota. <laughs> hey, there we go. So a little bit of news recently that came out. Um today i'm not sure if you guys heard especially you because this affects you tyler but uh the minnesota vikings have let go of their offensive coordinator john de filippo uh what let's let's go ahead and get your opinion on this right out the bat since you're uh since you're the minnesota vikings fan of this podcast what the hell are they thinking what are they doing with uh john de filippo and do you think john de filippo is gonna come out on his head on this one or is he gonna get another job well, I'll start by saying this. Thank God. Uh, he was the cause of a lot of our issues. Uh, uncreative play calling, unwillingness to do the right thing, but rather it seemed like he was just showboating for a head coaching job, showing that he could be multiple. He could do all these different things. But in reality, it wasn't helping us win games. And that was the biggest issue. Uh, he's going to land on his feet. He's going to get a job somewhere. Uh, he gets a lot of credit for what, uh, Carson Wentz was able to do last year because he was the quarterback coach. Uh, they had a really good rapport. And quite frankly, he's a very intelligent guy. I think there was some kind of disconnect with him and Zimmer. Zimmer was obviously very vocal in the media about, hey, I want you to run the ball. He did run the ball, but some of his uh, play calling and personnel groupings were very questionable. Last night on a fourth and one, you're going to run Latavius Murray for short yardage when you have Dalvin Cook. Dalvin's short, stocky, very muscular in the lower half. Latavius Murray runs like a skyscraper. Very easy to tackle, doesn't get low, uh, doesn't have that drive to be able to get that extra yard. He yeah, doesn't thing have to reach either. Well, he's 6'3". He falls for the extra yard, but he doesn't have that push. When you're going fourth and one against a defense like Seattle, you got to have that push. Uh, 
The play calling was uninspired. It wasn't utilizing our best assets. We've got Diggs and Thielen, and we've got Kyle Rudolph, who you could argue is a borderline top five tight end in the NFL. You're not using him. Uh, Thielen's got 103 catches. Diggs has 88. Rudolph has 43. Those differences don't make any sense. We're not getting guys in space, letting them uh, be able to utilize their skill sets. And quite frankly, it seemed that him and Zimmer were on such a bad disconnect. And the way this team is playing with a Super Bowl caliber roster, somebody had to take the fall. And the only guy that made sense was Filippo. Zimmer had to pull the trigger. Now, you know, Kyle Rudolph really has been off and on for the past couple of years. I've been screwed with him in fantasy football before, so I just wanted to bring that to your guys' attention because uh, I have had him in fantasy leagues. Let's see here. About two years ago, I had him on my team, and I could say that uh, for a fact he didn't do as well as I was hoping a stud tight end would do. Oh, no well, doubt. Uh, uh, go ahead, Bobby. Yeah, I was going to say, I used to play devil's advocate a little bit here. You know, coming from a Cowboys fan, personally, I felt like we had a lot of the same problems as the Vikings had this year with uh, that ultimately led to Filippo being fired. And we found out that it was due to one missing piece or one missing, you know, weapon or group, which was the wide receiver spot with the patchwork offensive line that the Vikings have that not only had to experience the death of their coach, who's a longtime NFL guy early in, in training camp, or I think it might have been this offseason. That was a blow. But they've also just been absolutely horrible and porous to that limit what Filippo can do and what he's allowed to call not allowed to call but what he's able to call and able to get you know get rolling you know throughout the game because that offensive line you were on the air with me Tyler when you found out about the passing of the uh, offensive line coach yeah uh, that was a real shocker and I think we're I've been saying it all season we're really seeing the effects of not having uh, Tony Soprano, just as a man, as a leader, uh, the experience that he brought to the table as a coordinator, as a head coach, as a positional coach. And he was uh, when Zimmer became the head coach, he surrounded himself with former head coaches so he could learn on the fly and have guys he could lean on, which is one of the reasons why North Turner was the offensive coordinator. Uh, yeah, Pat Shermer as tight ends coach, Soprano offensive line. And he positioned it that way. So he didn't have to worry so much on the offense. He could do defense and game strategy. And obviously it worked for a while, but now him not having that much involvement in the offense is becoming too problematic. And I think the loss of Sperano is really killer uh, just with uh, how the offensive line is played technique and just leadership in general. I think I concur with that statement. You know, thinking more about this, and uh, Bobby, if you want to chime in on this one, let me know. Um, The the L.A. Rams coaching situation is very similar to the uh, situation with uh, the Minnesota Vikings, where you have the offensive-minded Sean McVay, who's consistently out there calling the play calls on the uh, offense. But when it comes to the defense, he actually sits on the bench and just plans for his next offensive drive. But that's uh, that's because he's got Wade Phillips on the other side, who, while hasn't he has not been successful as a head coach in the NFL over a long period of time, he's had short stints of success when he was in Buffalo, Denver, and then even down here in Dallas. 
and he's a guy that knows <clears throat> he's been around the NFL for so long, NFL for so long. He knows how to defer to McVay to say, Hey, like you are the head coach. You are, you know, the guy making the decisions, but he's allowed to run the defense as you know that number one general, you know, underneath, you know, the whatever's above the general and and really lets Wade be that. And I bet that even though McVay is on the sidelines and, and whatnot, the way I understand it, during the week, he's more involved. He goes in there and he does use some of his offensive knowledge to help teach the defense. So I do think that there's a little bit different situation versus Minnesota, where Zimmer's a one-time <clears throat> head coach, you know, really only a defensive guy, and then he handed the reins to DeFilippo, who has, I, I want to say, and correct, correct me if I'm wrong, he doesn't even have any experience as, as a coordinator of calling plays before. And he does kinda, for one year. One year. Okay, so he did for one year. Thank 2013 you. with the Browns when Hoyer and Gordon went off before Hoyer <laughs> tore his ACL. Mm. Well, that's interesting. And I thought that was so Shanahan. Uh, no, Shanahan, I believe, was 2012. Okay. Uh, DeFilippo has one year with the Browns, and they played well. That's That much I do remember, but I think it was 13. Well, if that was back in 2013, then why had he uh, not gotten a chance to be an offensive coordinator? I would think, and, and I don't really remember, you know, the Browns back then very much. You know, probably most people don't. But if he had had success there, I would I would have assumed that he would have gotten more chances as an offensive coordinator than in between, you know, 2013 and and 2018. Yeah, I'm not going to argue that point, but I think one of the things that really held him back as far as uh, growing as a coordinator at that point, uh, he was, I mean, the guy right now is only 40 years old. He was with the Browns, and let's be honest, people in NFL circles don't look at the Browns organization as a very credible place. You don't see head coaching candidates come out of there. You don't see people getting promoted from within the ranks to become coordinators elsewhere. So I wonder if uh, Mm -hmm. even though he was with the Browns, they kind of looked down on that, and that's why he was only a positional coach from then on. Yeah, that's a really good point. I don't have a counter to that one right now, so give me a minute here. (laughs) You got me on that one. Let's cut the shit. The Browns have been shit for years. I and I just looked it up. I was wrong. It was 2015. He was the offensive coordinator. You're right. It was Shanahan in 2013. Called it. <laughs> okay, so then he didn't have too much of a uh, too much of a drop then. And, and let's be real. Anytime that there's you know coaching turnover or, or coaching staff turnover in one place, you you're very rarely going to get fired from one job, regardless of your success there. But when the new regime comes in, you're not going to go and take usually even a lateral move unless it's a positional coach move. Very rarely do you see, you know, an offensive coordinator go from a a fired coaching staff to another offensive coordinator. They normally have to take a step back to a a positional coach for a year or two before they get another shot at it. Truth. Yeah, that's uh, definitely something I've seen over the years. Look at Gary Kubiak a couple years ago when he got released from his head coaching position in the Houston Texans. He had to um, climb his way back up to the head coaching ranks by becoming the offensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens. So I mm-hmm. I definitely see where that comes from. And uh, John Filippo had to reprove himself after the Browns stint. Because let's face it, when you're an offensive coordinator for the Browns, it's like a tight ends coach for another team. Well, yeah, and I think you can also ask the question now is, you know, yes, Filippo had, had 
shown throughout the year, in my opinion. I, I agree with you all that he was not good as an offensive coordinator. But the uh, <clears throat> the actual event that triggered his firing was the you know the 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 dam as Florio said breaking once that uh, that missed jump that that leverage by Bobby Wagner on the blocked field goal. You know, speaking if, of if the that dam breaking, have, here we go. If that wouldn't have happened. Would Filippo have been fired this morning? What would the outcome of that game been? That's a good point. So the dam is broken now. Let's talk about the refs. Here we go. All right. So oh. the, I didn't actually see the game last night. I apologize, especially to you, uh, Tyler. I should have came a little more prepared than this. But uh, I heard about the play. I actually saw a replay of the play. And uh, he used the guy's shoulders for leverage, it looked like. So oh, that, that should have definitely been... <laughs> that definitely they, should have been a penalty in that case. Oh, you should have seen me screaming at the TV. <laughs> I, I was uh, visiting a buddy of mine in uh, Fargo, and he's a huge Seahawks fan, so I thought it'd be fun to watch the game with him. <sighs> and he jumps over. I'm like, okay, good. They, they got the leverage. There's there's no way from a standing position he didn't touch the uh, line. Nope. Uh, he cleared him but with the help from his hands and the fact that they called it, made the right call and then pulled it back uh, is an abomination to the game. It's, it's one thing as a Vikings fan to feel screwed, but as a football fan, I feel screwed because it changed the entire complexity of the game. The Vikings, if you make that correct call have first intended about the 16 yard line opportunity to get a go ahead score. But let's be honest, they were terrible on offense all game. Who knows if they would have done it, but they deserved that opportunity because the Seahawks made an illegal play. They used the leverage, which ironically was because the purple people eaters of the 60s and 70s did the same thing, and that's why the rule's in place. But they need to figure this out. Games should not be changed like this when it can be so easily fixed. Zimmer made a comment after the game in his press conference that he asked the officials if he could challenge it. They told him no. Which, if you don't want uh, uh, coaches to challenge penalties, I get it. Unless you're talking 12 men on the field, which is very easy, and it's not uh, a judgment call. There are either 12 guys on or there aren't. But yeah, that, that was the uh, point of the referee last night was that it was a judgment call. Therefore, it wasn't eligible to be reviewed or challenged. <laughs> That's not a judgment call. You can clearly see it. There's no judgment there. He put his hands on the guy and fucking pushed off and jumped. Bobby, I'm not, de- <laughs> I'm not debating that, but at the same time, it falls into that bracket where it's not – yeah, 100% indefinite. So because it's a judgment, and I use air quotes there, type mm-hmm. call, uh, they should really have like an eighth guy in the booth or ha- have the ability for New York to be able to correct them on site because we shouldn't be seeing this in today's day and age in the NFL. There's too much technology. There's uh, too much money involved. And now we're talking betting lines. Uh, yeah. What about all the guys that uh, bet on the Vikings last night? Do they have any kind of lawsuit because the refs sucked? Like there are so many different elements that are you're able to play into this and they need to be able to get the call right first and foremost. And that's what their main focus needs to be. And right now it's not. Yeah, no, I agree. The, the refs, these guys are costing people their their jobs, costing people their livelihoods. Now, yeah, the coach, John Filippo, we all know how the NFL works. He's going to get another job somewhere else. He knows people. It's all one big, you know, nepotistic family, whatever the hell you want to call it. So that's fine. But what about a lot of the players that 
because their team didn't make the playoffs, that coach got fired, new regime comes in, and then they're cut, their contracts, you know, they're, they're released, they're let go, they don't get a chance because of the officials. The officials are not held nearly accountable enough. Yeah, of course, we've seen a couple of them get removed or suspended, fired, whatever. That's not enough. If you're going to stick cameras into the faces of coaches and players at, in the heat of the moment right after the game when emotions are running high and they're held accountable and they're – they have to answer the questions about where they screwed up or they messed up, made a mistake. The same thing should be for the rest. The referees, the officials should be held to that same level of accountability, that same standard. It, you know, as a Cowboys fan, again, the opening kickoff, that was just an absolutely horribly, blatantly bad, incompetent call that New York or somebody should have fixed when, okay, there wasn't a clear recovery in the pile. Well, guess what? The pile was four Eagles. There wasn't a cowboy in sight. So that's just like apply some common sense to this and don't just go by the rule book. I think that all the NFL fans would agree that, you know, it's not about applying the rule to the letter of the law necessarily to that standard. It's about getting the calls right. You know, when it comes down to something that's just clear and obvious like that, and it's, it's insane, it's ridiculous that us at home with the angles that we get on TV, we can see all these things so plainly, so clearly that they're missing and going like, what the hell? Are you serious? Like, how come it, it takes the enjoyment out of the game? It takes a lot of the fun out of it because now it's like we an NFL game is decided typically by, by about five plays is what really makes a difference in an NFL game. They're so close. And when the officials take control, and when they decide the outcome of four, five, six plays, that's almost like saying the officials are actually controlling the outcome of the game. We've got the technology, as Tyler said. We can get it right. Let's change it now. Let's do something and make it right before this ends up, uh, you know, collapsing this house of cards of the NFL uh, as this illusion they have that their officiating is good and it's it's human error and human blah, blah, blah. No, we're past that point of of human error and human judgment. We can we can get them right. So let's do that. Sorry. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. But I do want to touch on something that you said, Bobby, because you said that we need to use more common sense when it comes to these rulings. Well, one of the things, as much as you're right, I feel like that could lead us down a slippery slope. Yeah. Because uh, the second we say common sense is we start uh, taking like indisputable uh, visual evidence out of the equation. And then we just start that using common sense, like, oh, he caught that. We don't even need to look at the replay. We can just use the 50 drunks in a bar standard. When if there's no uh, indisputable visual evidence, how do we know for sure? And just that mindset of utilizing that common sense every time I feel could be dangerous as much as it does make complete sense to utilize it. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. You can't, you not every, when it comes to common sense, that's an opinion. You know, I might think that, oh, yeah, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's common sense because I grew up in Texas. While you would say, you know, something about the heat, you living in Minnesota, you know, or up north would be, you know, thinking the same thing about something cold that I would know to be common sense to you. Common sense is not necessarily common, you know, across the spectrum. I was, I guess, more meaning on on that specific example of the the Cowboys where it was, there was not a clear recovery of the ball, but it was an obvious fumble. And then there was nothing but four green jerseys around and nobody else. And they said there wasn't a clear recovery. We saw the guy come out of the pile with the ball. That used to be good enough when there was a fumble. We used to see that when there was a fumble that would happen. And then 
you know, it would be whoever had the ball in the bottom of the pile. I don't know if that's the right way of going about it, but it just seems like something so blatantly obvious that not even 50 drunks in a bar, this is, you know, 100 out of 100 people would say, yeah, that was the Eagles. They recovered that. Should the referees be full-time all year long and be put into a classroom during the offseason to try to fix these problems? Yes, absolutely, 100%, no doubt about it. Whatever else I can say to be extremely, you know, fervent towards that. See, as much as I love that idea, I don't think it's plausible. And here's why. You have so many of these guys, like, at Hockey League, referee for Mm – 20 years he was a lawyer he wasn't going to give up his practice gene sterator uh sells medical devices i think it is in the pittsburgh area he didn't want to give that up that's why these guys don't go full time because they have side projects and if you have so many of these guys who have side projects that are really really good refs you're not going to make these guys go full time and if you make these guys go full time one you're going to have to pay way better in order to get these guys to give up their side gigs and not only that, but you're, it's going to take some time to really improve the quality of officiating because the amount of guys, I mean, just look at this last year. You lost Hockey League. You lost Territory. You lost Triplet. You lost Terry McCauley. All of those were top flight referees, and they're all gone now. There is this push for full time. You just got to be careful because you could make the situation way worse, just like we had with the re- replacement refs. Well, that is that- true. Well, no, I would say that brings me to, you know, almost brings to the point of the way I think you should fix it is, yes, we did see an exodus of some of the better referees and um, the the referees that left kind of goes or or doesn't really help. I point out a lot or maybe it does, which is I believe that one of the fixes is and yes, it's a transition. It will take a number of years to do, but the process needs to be started for full time. And we need to get rid of those guys that have their successful law practices on the side. If they don't want to commit to being an NFL referee full time then let them go and do their own thing. Besides the fact, most of those guys that are to that level of uh, professionally in their career, and let's say we're part of the lucky sperm club and just inherited it are, are too old. In my opinion, we've got guys out there running around with these 20 something year old freaks of nature. And, and I'd say freak in the nicest possible way. All right, that, Sims, calm down. Yeah. The, the freaks of nature out there, six foot, whatever, 300 and something pounds, just solid muscle. And we have a bunch of guys that are like five foot, nine, six foot, 170 pounds, sopping wet, you know, 68 year old dudes, you know, fat, half of them have big old bellies trying to run and keep up. Those guys can't do it. You need to have maybe one or two guys on the field as actual referees that are a little bit younger, a little bit more in shape that can, uh, that, that can actually move and get out of the way when they need to. And I think the rest of the officiating crew needs to be on the sidelines, basically on some kind of like, you know, volleyball stand towers, seeing the game from a bird's eye view, calling it or up in the booth, calling the game from different angles with the different replay, the different camera angles, and then radioing down to the, to the field on different calls that they missed on the field or to get them right. And they can use their discretion in the booth to say, Hey, that holding call had nothing to do with the play. It was way out of it. Didn't have any, any effect on it. So we'll let it go because we know that you can call a penalty on every single play in the NFL, essentially. Go ahead, Tyler. I saw I saw you unmute yourself. <laughs> no, I'm 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 kind of in agreement with Bobby. I I, I think he kind of nailed nailed it. Yeah. Um. 
just to the effect, uh, a lot of these people definitely do have uh, full-time gigs outside of uh, being a referee. I'm kind of curious how it actually works throughout the year, because I know that they're uh, like Ed Hockey League was a lawyer in the, the off season, but does he actually continue his practice throughout the week? Like, is he Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday is still a, a lawyer, and then Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, he's a referee? Some of these guys are actually referees for other leagues and other sports, like basketball and whatnot. Yeah. I think one thing we need we can reference to this whole point is uh, late in the summer, Florio did a PM podcast with Terry McCauley. He kind of talked about some of the offseason stuff that they do. I don't remember specifically, but I know they mm-hmm. do like uh, training camp kind of thing. Yep. They, they do like a rule symposium to kind of go over things. So there is some outside of the season requirement from these guys. But from what I remember, Hockley, I think, was like a Monday through Thursday uh, lawyer, and then he would do his normal thing with the referee. Yeah, yeah bullshit. Doing... You know what he did? He got ripped throughout the whole fucking week. <laughs> Steroids. He's, he's getting shredded. That old but... man is so goddamn ripped, I could probably wash my clothes off his abs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he definitely doesn't ever miss arm day. That's for that's for sure. But I'll, I know that the referees during the week, and I, I read this, might have been a Peter King thing back in the Sports Illustrated days or whatever, that during the week, while, yeah, they're full-time lawyers and stuff like that, most of them aren't you know, necessarily practicing that much or active you know, in the courtroom. They're just you know, in name as one of the named partners or whatever, the law firms. And, uh, and I know they get their different videos. They have a couple of conference calls throughout the week. And they'll get the officiating video of their game with their grade, all their missed calls and things like that, what they need to improve on. And they do get that. And I read that it was, I want to say they were spending like two or three nights a week um, on conference calls and or watching their videos and tapes and scouting for the upcoming games. Well, uh, you guys want to keep continuing on us, or you want to talk about some of the other games that happened over the weekend? I got one more point uh, for Bobby. I uh, he said just said that uh, the referees end up scouting for these games. Uh, that's one hundred percent correct. Uh, something a lot of people don't realize is when they go play certain teams, like the NFL talks to the officials about certain things through, uh, throughout the week, and like teams will put in complaints like, hey, this isn't being called, this, that, and the other thing. And they will actually make a focus to look for it. Uh, One of the things uh, that I've noticed uh, throughout uh, the course of the last few years is the Packers with how they're blocking schemes and how they're taught to block, they hold a lot and they get away with it. So refs are, when teams find out these things, the refs are told about it and they make it a focus and they'll actually watch tape and scout so they know what they're looking for. And how much more effective would they be if they were doing that full time, not two or three nights a week, but, you know, seven nights a week during the season or however many nights, days, I mean, during the day and scouting all the different film and the referees and officials coming together in one location if they could and and working together. But, um, yeah, something has to be done. Yeah, I think long term, that's a fantastic solution. The only thing I worry about is the short term decline when you're making that full transition. That's the only thing that worries me. I tell you what worries me is, like you guys are bringing up here, if uh, these guys have full-time gigs that are paying better outside of uh, the NFL, if they were to uh, come down with this law that says you guys need to be full-time, there will be a lot more people that are going to quit. 
Yeah, and the NFL is a what ten plus billion dollar uh, industry or whatever. And if the if what they say is true that after the Supreme Court legalized gambling, that all the professional sports franchises went up two and a half to three times value, and that means the NFL is worth what you know twenty five thirty billion dollars at least. So I'm pretty sure they can afford to hire full time officials and pay them pretty decently for the amount of travel, stress, pressure. And now I would think that they're going to need to be held no accountable with no press conferences and stuff, too, if they went ahead and went full time. Okay. Um, Sorry, I thought you were going to go, Tyler. Full disclosure here. I'm looking at the uh, webcam and I see him unmuting himself. So I was just holding my. uh, my breath here for him, but uh, nonetheless, um, when it comes to these officials, when it comes to the full-time gigs, uh, when it comes to being a lawyer, do you think it's more important to these guys that have already earned their like master's degree, that have already earned their uh, uh, some? I heard one guy was a little, like working on a PhD or something like that, so that he could uh, be a doctor. So, do you think those kind of things are more important to them than being a referee in the NFL? Do you think that the stage that they have for being a referee, national exposure is less important than being a lawyer, than being a doctor, than being uh, anything else that these guys are in the offseason. Only See, one way to find out. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't think right now that uh, those individuals are looking to go into full-time refereeing. Heck, I've got uh, friends who referee uh, like high school games up in North Dakota. They get paid like between 30 and $60 a game at plus travel, depending on how far they're driving. It's not their full-time job, but they do make a, a good amount of money, but there's no way that they'd be able to go full-time at it. So I think that same uh, bit translates right now to how uh, the NFL is operating as far as full-time. And I think, I think there does need to be a change. I just okay. worry that uh, eventually we're going to get back to the same situation as 2012 where we're getting fired lingerie football league professionals coming <laughs> in. Or we're going to get like uh, Earl Hebner, Nick Patrick, and uh, some other <laughs> uh, WWE oh, referees to come oh, in. Oh. The Nick Patrick days. Yeah, back in WCW. Uh, I'm going to bring up one point here, just, and this is uh, going to be – as food for thought and and table for another time to talk about the officials, which is we know a lot of officials work the college games on Saturdays, but they go to an NFL game on Sunday and and whatnot. And I would question whether or not that's beneficial to them or it's a detriment because of the changes in the way that the game is played and even the rules and the way the game's officiated between the college ranks and professional ranks. If that, uh, if that hurts them because they are getting things, maybe it's confused or, you know, very easily you're just in that same similar environment and you forget that you're at, you know, in uh, installing the NFL rule book instead of the, you know, college. But I think I, that would be a, another discussion for maybe later on. It's I a valid point on the head. Yeah. It's a valid point. I mean, in the college football league, you have like targeting and whatnot. There's no such uh, terminology when it comes to the uh, NFL. I could easily see them. Oh, this guy got one foot inbound, so that counts as a catch. Oops, wait, no, that's that's college rules. Oops, let me reverse that. And do they really even see it? And then they forget. They don't really know. Wait, I said it was one foot. Did I even look to see if it was two foot? Or was only looking at one foot? And they go and talk. It's like, do you know? Well, no, I don't really know. Do you know? No. Uh, okay, so let's figure out what we're going to call here. And let's just go with it. 
It's just a, one of those well fuck moments, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, guys. So there were a couple good games over the weekend, believe it or not, and a lot of them revolved around the AFC. So uh, who saw the Dolphins in the Patriots game? Oh, that was beautiful. I was. Uh, I was. Shocked. We had. We had multiple games up at the same time. We were watching your Ravens in Kansas City, and we were hmm. uh, flipping the audio with that and the uh, Finns Patriots. And when that play happened, we were like, I'm much more of a Patriots fan than a Dolphins fan. Like, uh, to me, Brady's the best quarterback that's ever played. But we can talk about that another time. Uh, and yeah, I was better just going, fucking say that. <laughs> I was just going ape shit. It was, it was just incredible. I wasn't uh, nearly as animated as the Minneapolis miracle because that was my my squad. But man, or the mile seeing high that kind of seeing that kind of stuff happen was is just incredible. It was, it's great to be a football fan, and that game is easily a top three game from this entire season. Back and forth, all game. Uh, the Dolphins have to make a defensive stop to force a field goal right there so they can have that miracle play. It's good for the Dolphins. They've dealt with so much BS for so long, and they deserve something good like that to happen. How the hell does that work, though? I mean, that never works in the NFL. The damn laterals, that's some rugby bullshit. That's what I was going to say. The thing that made that so amazing, I mean, you know, Hail Mary, whatever. We see that multiple times a year. You see these kinds of plays attempted, but you never, ever see it pulled off. It never actually works in the NFL. And the fact that it not only worked, it worked for the Dolphins of all teams, and it worked against the Bill Belichick and the Patriots. Bill Belichick got out coached on that last play and is that really that big of a deal no it's not but it is because it's bill belichick who is the you know the remember when he did that fourth and three uh at indy a few years ago and and they didn't make it everybody just ripped him mercilessly i'm like guys every other coach in the nfl makes those mistakes four five six times a year i know it's just fun to come down on the patriots but man that was that was a beauty that was just a thing of beauty i loved it Bill Belichick outcoached himself. Let's face facts. Why do you put Gronkowski in the safety position? We've got Devin McCourty. you got Jason McCourty. you got the McCourty brothers. Why aren't they both on the field at the same time playing for the stop there? See, I don't disagree with having Gronk in the game for that purpose, but you have to understand the situation. They're not throwing a Hail Mary at 70 yards. The fact that uh, Devin McCourty wasn't even in the game, who's – who's been a second team all pro player for the <laughs> Patriots. And you're going to put Gronk in there when they're not even like, there's a, a high probability that they're not even going to do that. You got to have tacklers on the field. Your best tacklers need to be on. They need to understand the situation. They need to understand um, what zone they're in and how to and gap control. And uh, kudos to Adam Gase. Uh, they kind of ripped it off of uh, the Boise state play against Oklahoma in the Fiesta bowl back in 2006 they modified Good it a little reference. bit, and they made it work. Uh, Adam Gase, in his post-game press conference, they called it Boise. Yeah. It was ripped off of that play, which was the best hook and ladder I've ever seen. Yeah, absolutely. And, and how did Belichick think that Ryan Tannehill has the arm of Allen or Mahomes or one of those guys? I mean, Tannehill can't throw the ball 70, 75 yards in the air to get it down there, even close to it. It just seems like such a, uh, a such a, 
a rare but simple brain fart, you know, by the goat when it comes to Belichick. And, and I think that Gase, you know, you talked about it. They've had so much ups and downs in Miami. It seems like he's never gotten a really, you know, a chance either with his own quarterback or even with the quarterback that, you know, they, uh, he inherited in Tannehill because of injuries and stuff, but he just seems to be a guy that, um, that has that it factor when it comes to coaches. And if he doesn't get that chance in Miami, I think when he gets a second chance in a few years, I think he'll definitely make the most of it then. And let's let's just get back to this Gronkowski thing. What the fuck were they thinking? Honestly, when you have a guy who's built like a brick shit house, if you want to put him on defense, fine. I get that. But middle linebacker, why don't you put um, somebody else in the background? Like if you still had Danny Woodhead or something that actually plays hands, can catch, has the ability to climb the ladder and swipe the ball down. This guy is just a brick shit house, and he's. I understand he's tall, but he's not agile. He's not going to be able to locate the ball 70 yards down the field. I heard it was 69, by the way, so that makes sense why uh, <laughs> why he was on the field. But um, <laughs> you don't put Gronkowski in the safety position. No. They've done this in oh. New York where they put Odell in the safety position for a hands play. Uh, that makes sense to me. It does not make sense to put your brick shit house tight end out there. I Josh, think it does. And let me tell you why. Yeah, you okay? So you just described Gronk as a brick shit house. The guy has really good hands. He's great at boxing out, and he can jump and high point the football. Is he the best high pointer? No, but what he can do is he can out muscle and out box people, so he can get the ball swatted down. If it was an opportunity for a hail mary play, I'm putting Gronk in every time. But it wasn't a hail mary play. Belichick overthought it, as you stated earlier, CJ. And he made a mistake by having Gronk in when it was 70 yards out. Even if it was a Hail Mary, let's just say it's a 50-yard and they were going to throw it, I still think you'd be better off putting somebody like Josh Gordon back there to jump up there and try and swat the ball out. In the past, Gronk would have been the perfect option for that. But even in in the games that Gronk has played this year, he is not the same guy. He doesn't have that same athletic ability, that same, you know, in my opinion, even jumping ability. He's not as strong as he once was. And I think that his play has severely diminished to where that's not the most effective use of, of personnel in that situation anymore. Cause I just don't think he has it. I think he's, I think he's basically done and uh, just waiting for the year to, to finish. You know, I have an idea and this is going to sound crazy, but uh, one of the few people that you actually pay high dollar to like, uh, I don't know, Jason McCourty, who's playing safety. Why don't you put him the fuck back there regardless? Holy shit. I mean, it, 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 I, don't, I still don't get it, man. It's I, I get I get your point about Grok, yeah. Tyler. I do. I, but at the same time, there is a certain uh, stature to a free safety. And he was playing free safety back there. He wasn't playing the strong safety. He wasn't in the box. He was playing free back there. And if you're looking for somebody uh, to play free safety, you want somebody who's going to be agile and on his feet. And Gronk is just a guy who likes to truck people, who uh, doesn't have the best 40 time. So it still doesn't make sense to me why they didn't just throw Jason McCourty out there or Devin McCourty even. It doesn't fucking matter. One of the McCourty brothers. Watching that play over and over again, every time Gronk starts to like, you know, make that little move to his left to start to try and chase Drake to try and get the corner, you know, get that angle on him. 
I keep thinking, is that Gronk or is that a bigger Tom Brady running? Because he looked like, as Mike <laughs> says, he looked like he was running in ski boots before, he, and then he tripped just like you would in ski boots. But that's exactly what he looked like running, in my opinion. I'm like, God, like that is just the most unathletic. Maybe he has to fire off in three point stance or something. I don't know, but that was just so horribly. Uh, I could have done better. You know what he kind of looked like? He kind of looked like a kid when he tripped. Um, as far as when he tripped, he, he looked like a kid who was running with his underpants down. <laughs> he did. And that's not the way you should be talking about an NFL player. I concur, but it's that's just one of the first things that come to mind. Like, oh, he's got his shorts man. around his feet, and he's just like, oh, shit. Oh, I mean, you know, and speaking of that, the, the Patriots now have to go and and – they have to try and uh, you know get back together and and rally for Pittsburgh next week, and Pittsburgh has to try and get it together. And and I think we uh, we saw what happened in Pittsburgh this last week. What do y'all think about you know big drama, Ben? Oh, big Ben! <laughs> oh, big Ben! You dumb piece of crap! Look, yeah, he he saw the Raiders as a severely uh, inferior opponent. And he didn't want to go back in the game. He thought a 14 to 10 lead at halftime would be enough to seal the deal. Mm -hmm. He was wrong because he's an idiot. And it cost him the game. It also cost me a shot at 900 bucks in one of my fantasy leagues. (laughs) So, you know, my fantasy aside, that's just a personal thing. As a professional, the game's not in hand. You know you're cleared to go back in. You know you should be out there because your playoff spot is far from secured and you don't go back out there why in the hell should i get behind you as my starting quarterback as my leader as a team captain why and then he thinks he can come in with five minutes left and then uh foo fighters is going to start playing in the background there goes my (laughs) hero like he's going to come in and just save the goddamn day uh you know he is he is something else he is a guy that has let a little bit of, of power go to his head and just – I don't even know. I mean, is, is there a, a player in the NFL that has more drama attached to him than Big Ben, whether it's you know the early career off-field incidents with the, the Georgia, the bar, and the girls down there? Or it's that scathing article, I think it was a Sports Illustrated, where everybody in town ripped him about, oh, he doesn't tip well, he's an asshole to everybody, you know, he stiffs little kids and, <laughs> you know, makes fun of cancer kids because they lost their hair, like like all this horrible stuff about him. Oh, my him. God. And then, I never heard you know, he that. goes, he wins those Super Bowls, so that stops, but then you can't help but see him on the field with the drama and the constant little, like, oh, I got a hangnail, let me go out, let me come out there and, and tough it out and then go and tell everybody it wasn't hang now you know my pinky was ripped off and it was the bone was sticking through but damn it i went out there and played for my team and then the next time something bad happens he goes on wei and criticizes everybody i mean jesus this guy i mean i, I love it because it's entertaining but if i was a steelers fan holy shit i don't know what i would think i tell Come you who in. he is he's he is the equivalent to in the wwe bill goldberg <laughs> Oh, cool. <laughs> Tyler, hey, you, you get that reference? Yes, I do. Uh, one thing oh, with uh, uh, Big Ben, uh, well, I think it was after the 05 season, uh, they got knocked out of the playoffs, and he said that he was playing with three broken toes, and Bill Cower looks at the media, and he's like, the hell are you talking about? I don't, <laughs> I don't know about any broken yeah. toes. 
he tries to uh, create his own narrative and gain sympathy for it. And quite frankly, no, you're just acting like a piece of trash. He's consistently, quote unquote, and I'm going to use your air quotes here, Tyler, injured. Uh, I remember when the Ravens were facing him in the playoffs one year, it was either the divisional round or it was the championship round. But uh, Ben had a wrap around his foot. And then he also took a Haloti Nada to the nose. So he actually legitimately got injured at that point. Did you see that broken nose that he had? Yep, that was pretty brutal. Not going to lie. Uh, yeah, he, that he was probably the that. worst injury he had. You can't fake that kind of crap. But um, uh, honestly, I, I probably would have went home crying like a little baby if somebody came in, if, especially if Haloti Nada came in and broke my goddamn nose like that. But uh well, here's the thing. When Ben says that, like, oh, yeah, I was playing with three broken toes and blah, 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 blah. You know what? At this point in the season, by week, you know, eight, week 10, what NFL player isn't playing injured? The only ones that aren't injured are, you guessed it, kickers, punters, and fucking quarterbacks because they're so protected. So I have no sympathy for somebody like Ben saying, like, oh, woe is me. You know, woe is me. I'm, you know, six foot six, 320 pound, you know, tub of lard quarterback with all this extra padding. And I'm going to sit there and get, you know, banged up. And, and complain and whine about it while I've got, you know, my running backs or defensive linemen or linebackers out there getting the shit beat out of them and, and you know, car wrecks play after play after play. But he hadn't give them any kind of respect like that. No, I mean, I just don't. He just got, like I said, it's entertaining, but he just gets under my skin sometimes. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, he gets under a lot of people's skin. Imagine being in the same damn division with him as a fan. <sighs> It sucks. The guy tears us up every once in a while. It pisses me off. But then you see what he does in the offseason. You're like, yeah. wow, I'm glad I don't have him. And then uh, he goes on WEI and fucking rips all of his teammates. And then he says he's going to hold himself accountable if he needs to. I don't mm. see that happening. I don't know if he came on WEI or not uh, today or yesterday, whenever he typically goes on. I think it's Tuesdays. But I doubt that he's going to be like, oh, yeah, that was all my fault. My bad. Uh, I probably should have came in earlier. I doubt uh. he said that. No, I uh, I saw I didn't get to read the whole thing. I marked it to go back later on to finish, but it was something about the reason why it took him so long to come back in was because of an X-ray and had to wait for the medication. Which, you know, I'm sorry if you have to wait for it. You know, the medication it would have been a shot, and that pretty much works instantaneously, and yeah, nothing is going to give you, you know, more uh, you know medical whatever than going out there and getting a little bit of adrenaline running, a little adrenaline pumping. Do you guys smell that? It smells like bullshit. <laughs> what he's best at, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's the truth. I mean, I've I've seen him uh, over the years. Just he, he sporadically comes up with these different injuries. Um, I don't know about the three broken toe thing, to be honest with you. I but when you said uh, Bill Coward, like that, that's news to me. So why isn't this on the some, injury or something like that happening? Why are why isn't this bullshit on the injury report? I mean, I hate to God, I hate to give credit to anybody, but uh, when it comes to uh, like Tom Brady's shit was supposed to be on the injury report what two years ago for his concussions, and it never was. So why was Big Ben's broken toes never on the injury report? Well, hold on, are you talking about the Tom Brady concussions that his wife said he got? Yep. Yes, and let's let's face facts. I'm not saying that he had a concussion. But that caused a lot of shit disturbing in the news. So can't well, put him on the injury report if the coaching staff doesn't know it. 
And, and let's also true. remember with uh, Tom Brady, he was also on the injury report for like three years with a shoulder <laughs> injury. Yeah. So but, it's not that he wasn't on the injury report. Now you can argue, should he have been on it for the concussion thing too? Yeah, you can make that argument. But like uh, Bobby said, coaches don't know about it. Plus, you had guys like Peyton and Eli who were manipulating the concussion protocol tests. Mm-hmm. So there's a very good chance that Tom Brady, being as smart as he is, uh, figured out a way to uh, circumvent that process and manipulate it so he didn't ever test positive for a concussion. All right. I, I hated to make the comparison because I knew it was going to go down that path. But um, Big Ben had three fucking broken toes. I don't know how, first off, you hide that. Especially when you gotta, you work on your feet for a living. You gotta set your footing right to throw the football down the field. You gotta scramble. I, I don't know how the hell he pulled that off. So I, I'm, what's that smell? Yeah, he, yeah, he broke three toenails. I think the uh, the nails just got edited out of it somehow. Uh, well, I mean, th- there are hockey players like uh, Joe Thornton played in the playoffs two years ago. With he played like six games with a torn ACL. So it's. It's not crazy to think that he could have played football with three broken toes. I imagine that shit would hurt having playing with a torn ACL. I, I wouldn't be able to imagine getting through the night, to be honest with you. Ask Philip Rivers. He played uh, mm-hmm. in the AFC title game in 06 or 07 with a torn yep. ACL. That's a quick that. surgery to stabilize the knee. That's all you need. That's another fun guy. I love thinking about Philip Rivers. He's That's Mr. Personality right there. And Mr. Eight Kids. Yeah. Coming no up kid. on nine now. Coming up on nine. Wow. That's it's oh. like every he has a he has enough people now. He has nine kids, him and his wife, if they all get together, they have an official offense on the field. They have eleven players. <laughs> yeah, and you know, you talk about most NFL quarterbacks have generational money. With that many kids, might not be that many generations that his money's gonna last. Yeah, they <laughs> might all get ten grand if they're lucky. Shit. He's also a a devout Catholic, and from everything I've read, Mm -hmm. he's been really, really good with his money. So it wouldn't surprise me. Plus, he grew up a coach's son. Would not surprise me to see him get involved in coaching and keep earning the money. But he can't pull out of a garage. (laughs) (laughs) You know, really quick, going back to the Big Ben situation, how does this reflect on Tomlin ultimately? Is there something that we don't know behind the scenes to where, you know, Big Ben just has the run of the organization with ownership and nobody can hold him accountable or whatnot? It seems like we saw uh, previously when they they did by trying to or by getting rid of Arians and installing Haley, who he didn't like, and Arians was his best friend, his OC and whatnot. Um, does that does this look badly on, on Tomlin? Because not only is he not seemingly able to control his quarterback or get him to come out on the field to win a game when they're when the playoffs aren't aren't a lock or anything like that, but uh, the way that Tomlin handles these kinds of things in the media, the the sound bites he gives are just like what the hell, dude? Like, do you have any awareness at all? Do you have any concept of self awareness? So you know, I, I want to. What do y'all think? How does that how does that look on on Tomlin? Tomlin has a way. Oh my god, my house phone again. <laughs> I still Tomlin can't has... believe you have one. I know. <laughs> Tomlin has a way of saying a lot of shit but not saying anything at all when it comes to the media. I don't know if you guys agree with that, but he comes out there and he he just says so much shit but then he doesn't say anything that has any substance whatsoever in my opinion. So he'll come out and uh just 
and he'll unintentionally throw people under the bus too. Like I think he unintentionally threw Big Ben under the bus this past week, but he just doesn't say anything when he's out there on the podium. Yeah, and it also doesn't help that he is in by far the most stable organization as far mm-hmm. as coaching structures. Uh, since 1968, there have been three Steelers head coaches, Chuck Noll, Bill Cowher, Mike Tomlin. He's going to have to either have everybody in the building like picket for him to get fired or he's going to have to kill somebody. He's not losing that job. Well, you say that, but don't forget it was Dan Rooney or Art Rooney the first, whichever one, the, the patriarch of the Steelers organization died just a couple of years ago and the full control, full reins were finally handed to the next generation or the son. So they could have a different way of thinking about this nowadays. And the, the NFL is, is changing and they might see that, you know, Hey, we've got to make that change too. They went from hiring coaches all the time to being very stable to now with the way the league is being is innovating so quickly. It feels like maybe the, the trend is you've got to be able to hire you know, the next up and coming, you know, guy, you know, sooner rather than later, not stick with one person for, for decades. Yeah, that could be, but I will say that the Steelers have thrived on their ability to keep a uh, consistency within their uh, front office and their coaching, just to have that continuity especially year to year uh, can be a huge benefit, but at the same time uh, getting that young mind and getting a fresh uh, perspective can be good. And I think that's one of the reasons why they got rid of a Todd Haley, why they got rid of a Bruce Arians. So your patriarch is still the same, but the uh, voices that you're hearing on a uh, positional level are different. So that the message is still staying fresh. Well, and talking about that organizational stability and how they've got that same uh, that same kind of you know, structure and they have for a long time that kind of, you know, makes me think or wonder or, or ponder, I guess, out loud is, does it matter who the head coach is there? I feel like it doesn't matter who the head coach is. They're still going to draft those pass rushing linebackers. They're still going to go heavy on the defensive line. They're still going to be a smash mouth, you know, blue collar style team. So I almost wonder or, or think it's that whole, you know, back to NFL owners care more about profits than winning. They know that keeping the head coach of the Steelers, they'll be able to keep that that salary potentially down because they've got such a good system in place that it's you know plug in you know plug and play or, or uh, you know replace them, just plug new person in. I don't disagree with that, but at the same time, even with all those pass rushing linebackers, look at their history over the past like I'd say ten years in the first round. Uh, Jarvis Jones, outside linebacker, huge bust. Artie Burns just two years ago, yep. strong corner, huge bust. Uh, they drafted that uh, Terrell Edmonds, who was projected to be a third rounder in the first round. The jury's yet to come out on him. Bud Dupree has not even come close to living up to expectations. And that Shazier, you know, that that's just an unfortunate thing. He broke his back, spinal injury. He's probably never playing football again. I. That you can't control. But where they find their gold is in the middle rounds. Look at the wide receivers' positions. They find the the Martavius Bryants. They find Antonio Browns. Uh, Le'Veon Bell was, I I think he's a second-round pick, so that's still early. But uh, they they find all these wide receivers an amazing talent in the middle rounds. That's the beauty of their general managing, the beauty of their scouting. 
Well, you know, and that, that's true. They do find good mid-round talent, especially with the wide receivers. But, you know, kind of brings us back to the Patriots a little bit, too. I think that Bill Belichick doesn't get enough um, – get enough heat for all of his draft pick misses. People seem to forget that he can't draft a cornerback or, or whatever to save his life. And and I looked at it just wasn't that long ago, and I looked, went and looked at the Patriots draft picks. I was like, wow, they're actually pretty damn bad, Belichick is, at, at drafting. And that kind of says the same about the, the Steelers lately. They've been, you know, you're right, they've been pretty bad with those, those first-round linebackers, which is supposed to be their bread and butter. Uh, to touch on Belichick really quick, I think the past couple years he hasn't had a lot of success, but over the course of time he has hit quite a bit, especially with those late round guys. I mean, he may not have been drafted, but Malcolm Butler found him out of West mm-hmm. Alabama. He's got to be able to get credit for that. That uh, so one of the things like how people are viewing if it's a successful pick or not is he's not signed a lot of these guys to second contracts because it's the Patriots. And they're not going to overpay you. Jamie Collins got shipped out because he was ready to get paid. They weren't going to pay him. They didn't pick up the option on uh, defensive tackle Malcolm Brown for next year because they don't want to pay him. They're going to try and get him for less money if they resign him. So the scope on Bill Belichick's drafting, I think, is a little skewed based on that. Uh, he has had a track record the last couple of years of uh, missing more than he's hitting. But at the same time, at the end of the day, if you want one guy to be coaching your team in January and February, it's Bill Belichick. Now, also, they haven't had many first-round picks. The, uh, three out of the past five years have had no first-round picks. So, <laughs> And in between those, you've had Dominic Easley and Malcolm Brown. And Easley was a guy uh, who I watched uh, heavily at Florida, and his was all injury-based. If he doesn't get hurt... He played really well before that. Uh, Malcolm Brown's played really well, but they use such a rotation there. He hasn't gotten as many snaps as he probably should have. And I think his you can argue that his development was stunted. But he makes a difference in, in that interior for the New England Patriots. I just realized Nate Solder was drafted back in 2011. He's never been to the Pro Bowl. Last yeah. tackle's a hard position to make it at. Yep, and look, he's now he's with the Giants and getting exposed. Yeah, good point. They let he's him go. Been, they didn't even. They definitely didn't want to give him the franchise tag. They just said, you know what, you you can go if you don't want to take point uh, five million from hmm. us. Then whatever, you can go. Yeah, I think you're about to see Belichick. I think his reign at the top is probably going to be coming to an end soon just because I think that he's not going to be able to adapt or he's not adapting. You're starting to see a new generation, a new breed of player coming into the league. And I just don't think that his, um, his style and getting people to buy in when a lot of these players nowadays are looking more at the, Hey, I'm only going to have a short career. I'm not, this is the one thing that was put on earth to do really well. I'm not going to do anything else after this to make this much money. So I've got to cash in while I can. I really think that um, <clears throat> that you're going to see, you know, coaches like uh, Belichick who, who don't relate as well to some of those younger, newer players or different types. I think you're going to see him, you know, start to, to lose it. You're starting to see him lose it with, with Brady already and some of the, the long-term guys there, are, you know, now. Yeah, there's definitely a turn, a change of the tide when it comes to New England and, and the coaching staff. I don't think that Belichick has the venom or the bite that he used to. Either that or the people just realize there's 
more bark than there is bite when it comes to Bill Belichick nowadays. You know, I think the the thing that's going to hurt, I think what really hurt Belichick the most and why you really saw so much turmoil around that team this offseason, at least compared to normal, is the decision to sit Malcolm Malcolm Butler during the Super Bowl and only have him play like, what, two or three special team snaps or something like that, and that's it, and not uh, not have him out there at all and not give an explanation to anybody as to why. I think that hurt him a lot in his locker room in that organization with the players and and you know everything i think that uh i think that hurts a lot i think that may be the spot where they lost tom brady and gronkowski to be honest with you i agree so this offseason gronk and brady both held out of uh the uh the non-mandatory minicamp the um i don't know what it's called nowadays but um the one that's not required OTAs. to go to. OTAs, yes, sorry. So they held out of that one. They typically do show up, and Brady's even been quoted as saying, you've got to go to those type of things if you're a real football player. So he's definitely changed his mind about where he wants to be, at least in the next couple of years. I think, honestly, that he's probably going to get traded sometime soon if he still wants to continue to play in the NFL. I don't think Robert Kraft is going to let Bill Belichick trade Tom Brady. Because Tom Brady is is Tom Brady is a messiah to the Kraft family and the New England Patriots. You don't trade the messiah. And I think he's viewed a lot differently than Brett Favre's viewed in Green Bay. Uh, if you're if you traded Jimmy Garoppolo before Tom Brady at this point, Tom's never getting traded. There's yeah. No way. So if Belichick I, came up to Kraft and said today, it's either him or me, what do you think would happen? Bye, Belichick. Yep, 100%. And, and the reason why I say that is because I know that Robert Kraft and even uh, – uh, God damn, I'm, uh, I really hate to butcher her name. I can't remember Mara or Myra Kraft because she was a, a wonderful woman. Uh, but they both, um, Robert and his wife, late wife, introduced Tom Brady to anybody and everybody as their other son. The other Kraft sons introduced Brady as this is my brother, Tom Brady. And it's apparently a legit thing that's done genuinely and not for show, not for publicity. And so because of that, that's why I believe that Wickersham story where it was essentially, you know, Jimmy or, or Brady. We, we all know that Belichick rips the name off the back of the jersey. And when that came down – he would have been for trading Brady. I think the only reason why is Kraft came in and said, look, Bill, this one time in our 17, 20 years, however long you've been my head coach, I'm stepping in this one time. I've never done it before. I'll never do it again, but you're not going to trade my son. I'd trade my son. <clears throat> I would too. <laughs> if it got me a Lombardi, I'm in. Right, yep. exactly. I mean, You'll always be my blood, but you can go play for the Browns. Hey, with Baker Mayfield, I want to play with the Browns. Uh, yeah. Oh, you guys right. your man crush on Baker Mayfield again. Oh, Here we hey, go. Hey, whoa, 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 uh, whoa. Baker is everything. Now, apparently he's a god. Well, no, he no, no. Is a football he's god. on his way. He is not a god. Let's not jump the gun here. He's not a Hall of Famer, but I'll tell you, he keeps progressing like this. The sky's the limit. I don't know, considering the fact how bad the Browns have been and with what Baker's done so far this year, he very well could be in the Browns Hall of Fame at the end of this season. 
Hey, he's probably going to have a street named after him. And this is another thing. I'm glad you're actually segueing into this. Um, The Browns are still in playoff contention, and it's December. Baker Mayfield. (laughs) Okay, but is is that really – okay, and I can't believe I'm saying this. Again, I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit. Is this really Baker Mayfield, or is this no more Hugh Jackson? Yes. Or is it Greg Williams? <laughs> it's all of it. Yeah. Hugh Jackson was the cancer. They got rid of the cancer. And Baker was able to thrive more than he ever had because he didn't have somebody weighing him down. And I think we can all agree that Hugh Jackson was holding Baker and the team back. Oh, yeah. He was holding – He was. I mean, Hugh Jackson's holding the entire town of Cleveland back, and that's hard to do because we're holding Cleveland down because Cleveland – let's be real, it's Cleveland. No offense to anybody out there that's listening from Cleveland. I love Drew Carey's show. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Hugh, Hugh Jackson just obviously is, is the worst head coach in the world. But what really intrigues me about this is Greg Williams because I remember before the whole Saints bounty gate when they tried to blackball – Goodell tried to get Peyton and Greg Williams blackballed from the league entirely. Uh, Greg Williams was considered a head coaching candidate in, in the wings. I want to say he interviewed for a few jobs. Well, we know he's been offered four of them without even an interview. But even back then, before they just offered jobs without interviewing people, he was he was on the on the short list for a, for a while making the rounds because he always had dominant defenses. Whether it's in I want to say Carolina, Washington, uh, you know, multiple places. Bounty Gate. Yeah, which that, let's that be immediately real, disqualifies was, you, in my opinion. That and going to sixteen. You know, I agree with the bounty gate thing, kind of. But what was the what were they doing wrong? What are these? What are those defensive players paid by the teams to do? They're paid to try and knock out the opposing team's best players in no legal ways or within the rules. He was well, doing. No. We all know he did the same thing. Everybody is doing all across the league. They just picked on him. No See, fucking way no, that was legal. I, I don't think he was as much picking on as some want to make it out to be because obviously the goal is to sack the quarterback. You want to knock him out, but it's one of those uh, unwritten rules, one of those things you don't talk about. But he was going around to his players and bribing them to knock the shit out of a quarterback with money. That's different. That's and he got busted because his stupid ass had a ledger. But bribe, okay, bribing them. These guys are getting paid bukus of money, and they were bribing them with a couple hundred bucks here and there. Now the players would sometimes, like Jonathan Vilma, would throw in big money, but for the most part, the coaches were throwing like a couple hundred or here and there, like like petty amounts, like more of like a, a get you fired up. I mean, I've been, you know, around football where coaches say things like that because it's the, you know, they're going out there, they're, they're saying, you know, go out there and rip his fucking head off. But they're not really meaning go out there and rip his fucking head off. But you they know, actually just, were telling them to rip their fucking head off. <laughs> they weren't telling them to rip their head off. They, they said the same thing that, you know, a million people have said about, you know, cut off the head, the snake dies or whatever, which is, is true of anything that, that people say. And I've heard that, that same thing said before. And we've also heard where they said that the NFL did not want to open up that rabbit hole and go down it because every other team was doing it too. Every other organization was doing it. 
And they just had to go, like they always do, make an example of somebody. They made an example of the Patriots before. They made an example of Zeke Elliott, uh, Ray Rice even. They, they like to call him Kaepernick. They don't, they're, not, they're not about doing what's right. They're about making an example so everybody else will fall into line. Yeah. At the same time, though, th- this was a bit of an extreme case. I mean, ask Kurt Warner, ask Brett Favre about the New Orleans defense. I would I would venture to say that he'd say, yeah, those were some hard-hitting defenses, hard as in illegal hits. Ask like, everyone in Minnesota how it feels to not have a Lombardi on their shelf because <laughs> of that game. I agree that they were going after Favre a little bit extra, but even going back and watching those games, most of them, they weren't – doing anything outside the rules at that point. Now, then there's some stuff obviously that apparently happened at the bottom of piles, which still goes on today. But, you know, at the time they were, they were basically playing with, within the rules. It was just, even just 2012, it was a totally different game back then in the way they treated the quarterbacks. Mm, no, I'm sorry, man. There's just <laughs> no way you can convince me of this. There, he was targeting. That was some bullshit. Jonathan Vilma was a bit of a dirty player, and those goddamn defensive players were all being bribed. And there was a goddamn ledger. And I get, you know what? To your point, there probably was some stuff going on on other teams. I, I'm sure that hey, wink and a nod. But these guys were dumbasses and had a fucking ledger. And that's all I got to say about that. I think we can just agree to disagree about the whole deal with Bounty Gate. It sucked. It happened. I think we can just move on and realize and agree that Goodell sucks at prosecuting everything. You know what? I I can agree with that. We can all agree that Goodell is just horrible or really the owners are horrible because the owners are Goodell. Except their, the their pocketbooks aren't horrible. That's the only thing. <laughs> yeah. I just want to know how the hell Goodell was able to not only keep his job, but get a contract extension. I mean, Jerry Jones, I hate to say this, was the only sane person in the room trying to break up that re-signage. The Why? reason because the owners are making like yep. double the amount of money they were when he started as the commissioner. L- it's all about money. Yep. And I don't think the owners I'm sorry, but in my opinion, I think that Goodell has like I'm a hundred percent meaning this truthfully that I think if I spent a couple years in an NFL offices learning it, I think that I could have made more money for the NFL than Roger Goodell did. I believe that the things that Roger Goodell did with investigations and publicly bringing things out in the enforcer has actually hurt the league and caused more trouble for the league and negativity for the league than anything else. When all he really had to do is just steer that money train down the tracks and he's just fucking derailed it at every turn. What is what all has he fucked up over the years? Let's just sit here and think about this for a minute. Player Um, discipline. Yeah, as far as player, player discipline, discipline and team discipline. So let's think about this. Um, he fucked up. He's fucked up Spygate. He fucked up Bountygate. He fucked up. Uh, well, hold on, hold on. I want to talk about Bountygate for a second. Zeke? Again? Fuck up Bountygate. That was the <laughs> witch hunt where sports science proved that weather could have caused those footballs. And then all of a sudden that video disappears from the Internet. Like That's Deflategate. Uh, Deflategate. You got, yeah, Deflategate and Spygate. Oh, Spygate, the Patriots are fucking morons. They deserved it. Yes, but Goodell fucked that up horribly when 
he said there was this video, video, video. He was the only one that saw it, destroyed all the evidence. So, oh, sorry, can't do anything about it now. And then that's when they started overreacting and spending $10 million on a Mary Jo White bounty gate, you know, or deflate gate with Ted Wells type thing. They started going way overboard with it because of the overreaction to to Spygate. And that's also why the Patriots got and Brady got hammered so bad. It was because all the other owners were on Goodell's ass saying that he didn't do enough to them over Spygate, which he really didn't. But then he overcorrected with, you know, Deflategate, Bountygate, Zeke, the Ray Rice fiasco. Uh, Ray Rice fiasco. Uh, You know how hard that was living here in Baltimore? Yeah. I don't doubt it. That was so embarrassing. Like, I thought, yeah. that, oh, my God, I, I thought Ray Rice wasn't innocent, but I thought it was overblown. But then I saw the video, and I'm just like, what the fuck? I'm never going to hear the end of this as a Ravens <laughs> fan. I guess I'm one of the few people that uh, when I heard – Agree with like, Ray Rice? Well, no, no, hell no. But <laughs> I, Seeing the video did not change my opinion. When I heard that he cold clocked her and knocked her out cold, I was like, holy shit, that is absolutely heinous and deserves absolutely, you know, possibly everything thrown at him. But it wasn't until, like, you know, a video emerges that people are in outrage. I guess I can understand it, but to me, I just don't, it doesn't, it doesn't make a difference to me. That's fair. I was under the assumption, and I heard the rumors that he did cold cogger, but I was under the assumption hearing other people say that it was a light hit. I mean, a hit regardless is still a hit, but mm-hmm. I didn't think he knocked her the fuck out. I thought that something happened, like he accidentally spun around and hit her by accident or something silly like that, but no, looking at that video... Hmm. At least I was hoping that's what it was. Like he, yeah. he spun around real quick and accidentally hit her and she fell down. But no, looking at that video, I was dead wrong. You don't expect that from I mean, that guy, such a charitable a, guy. Yeah. So and it's a damn shame that he got drunk and made that mistake. And there's there's something. And it's crazy that they're married today. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and oh, he got yeah. married so that he she wouldn't t- uh, testify against him in court, which is I blows thought, my mind. There's something wrong with the guy. Yeah, uh, I don't. There's there's something deeper than the, just the surface level. The disturbing thing, the only thing that I felt was, I mean, okay, the whole video was disturbing. Oh yeah, but the thing that I thought was disturbing that shocked me that was like I didn't expect to see because I expected to see when I read it that, oh, he knocked her ass out. I expected to see him hit her hit her and get knocked out. The thing to me that struck me as shocking was, you know, after she hit the ground, she was out cold. His first reaction wasn't a, oh, shit, what did I just do? Like, I, I, just, I don't know what my reaction would be, but I just imagined my reaction would be, oh, shit, what the hell did I just do? Like that, his first reaction was to grab her lifeless body and drag it so he could like hide her or you know cover it up so somebody would see it. That to me was like that speaks to your character probably more than anything else. I wonder how this all got leaked in the first place, just sitting there thinking about it. Like who actually said Ray Rice knocked this girl out? Did did his wife come forward and call the police or what what happened? Yeah, I think that was the case. I think the the police, the authorities were called initially and and then, of course, once there's a video, you know, it's in an elevator in a casino, every square inch of a casino is filmed. It was just a matter of time before a video came out. 
I actually went to that casino, by the way. We went there for <laughs> uh, we went there for uh, my buddy's bachelor party, and uh, it, it sh- went out of business shortly thereafter. Actually, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, that's that's just one hell of a situation. So they they <laughs> fucked that one up as well as I was yeah. getting at. See, they suspended him t- just two games. And uh, the NFL did not see the video, though. Uh, maybe they were thinking the same thing I did, and they gave them the benefit of the doubt. But then after seeing the video, they're like, oh, my God. Yeah, and uh, right after that, they uh, fucked up the AP and Greg Hardy deals. Yeah. Commit, like, overreacting with the commissioner exempt list. And it just – I don't understand how anybody in their PR department hasn't gotten – fired and they just haven't cleaned house and started over because yeah. Oh, yeah, everything they've been doing has been wrong everything they touch they screw up literally like every single scandal controversy whatever that the, the league speaks on gets involved in they screw it up from the players kneeling during the the anthem to where they said multiple times that, yes, they have the right to do this perfectly fine. And then trying to, you know, as Florida says, put the toothpaste back in the tube. Everything they touch, they screw up. One of the biggest ones, Josh Brown, the Giants kicker. He was contract was up. He was, uh, you know, technically a free agent. And the Giants re-signed him to a contract, even though NFL security at the Pro Bowl had been called by his wife to say that, hey, he's trying to beat the shit out of me or whatever. And they had to come down there and separate him. The NFL had the videos from her cell phone and from their kids or from her kids of Josh Brown. And yet John Mara and the Giants re-signed him and the NFL didn't do anything. And he until, only got a game at the time, too, if yes, I'm not mistaken. He did. He only got a game. And then and it was like said it was they they said it was a um not domestic violence. It was like a verbal argument type thing, was what it was. And some like, you know, property got, you know, a, a door got broken or slammed or something and it's like no like the, your security had been there had been called to come save her life because she was getting choked out by your kicker and this is a kicker a fucking kicker and then they w- realized they fucked up and went back and suspended him six games yeah after the giants went ahead and cut him i hope that he went ahead i hope he got to keep his signing bonus whatever the hell it was since the nfl knew about it and I hope it goes to his, his ex-wife now, actually, I guess you should say. But, uh, you know, and then going back to the Ray Rice thing, they screwed it up twice because as much as what they what Ray Rice did was absolutely horrible, he only got a two-game suspension. And then they went back and basically tried him again for the same crime, which according to – I think it's in our Constitution or Bill of Rights or something. Double you know, jeopardy. Double jeopardy. You can't get tried for the same crime twice and or punished for the same crime twice. And yet he was done just that. And the NFL should have had that evidence already. I concur 100%. Wow. I mean, Ray Rice had the ability to get that evidence, and he yeah. probably should have gave it to – they should have at least requested the video from Ray Rice. They could have gotten it. Let's be real. The NFL is one of the largest companies, whatever you want to call it, in the in the country. They can get it if they want it. Yeah, and at the same time, still, they should have requested Ray Rice produce the video, and they did. Yeah, at the very least, go the the right way and try to do it that way. Wait, and hold on, didn't. hold on. Why should Ray Rice have to produce the video? They should be able to go get the video themselves. Well, Ray Rice had the video, though. His lawyers or whatever had a copy of it, and the NFL could have said, 
as you assigned uh, agreed to the CBA by signing your contract. And part of that is you have to cooperate 100% with any NFL investigation. And as part of the terms of your remaining remaining employment, you have to um, you know do that. You have to give that video, instruct your lawyer to hand that video over. Uh, okay. That, that makes sense. I'd be pretty pissed off, though, if somebody came to my job uh, or my job came to me and said, hey, I want a video of what you did last Saturday night. So that's I, all I got to say. Yep, I'm 100% with you, but the players have all agreed to it. Yeah, when you agree to be a public figure, yeah. I mean, they can all go try and find another football league that'll pay the same amount. I bet they won't, at least not yet. Not a chance. I don't think it's ever going to happen, at least in our generation. <laughs> yeah. I don't think Vince McMahon's going to be paying that much. <laughs> nope. So, he doesn't pay anybody. I don't know how we got Wait, this far something. down this rabbit hole, but we were talking about how the Browns are still in fucking contention for the playoffs. How is this possible? It's December, uh, and they haven't been eliminated yet. Oh, I, I thought we already got that pretty good. Baker Mayfield is a borderline god. Hugh god Jackson's damn. not there. No, yeah, that's not that's not the only reason why. The team is actually gelling together now. The, the defense is actually responding. The yeah, offense is doing Jackson's well. Jackson's not there. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's part of the reason. And Greg Williams is putting together uh, a rah-rah. I mean, give a little credit where credit is due. It's not just Hugh Jackson was a cancer. Hey, yeah. uh, CJ, what's, what's their offensive coordinator's name again? Oh, come on. You, you, don't, you still don't know about Freddy? I, I know about Freddy goddamn kitchens. Trust there me, I went go. off last week about it. I, I'm still surprised that you guys know his goddamn name. <laughs> Oh, well, he's the guy that's that's helping train, you know, the next the, the future of the NFL and Baker Mayfield. So, of course, we have to know he has to get approval before he's allowed to touch somebody like Baker. Yes. Before he can touch a God like Baker Mayfield. Right. Right. Yeah. Why do you think there we're you so up in arms about Hugh Jackson? He almost ruined him. Look at the stats from before and after Hugh. I'm sorry, but I'm more on the uh, Patrick Mahomes wagon wagon, especially yeah. after watching this game this past weekend. And even in a loss, which I should be pissed off about, that was Man. still one of the best games I've seen this season. Oh, that was excellent. But I'll tell you what, long term, one thing that worries me about Patrick Mahomes is once teams get enough tape on him, how is he going to respond? And that was the one thing that I uh, I worried about with Wentz. The more tape you have on a guy, the more you see their tendencies, the more you can scheme against him. The the Ravens did a fantastic job against Mahomes by putting a bunch of different uh, personnel groupings and packages on Mahomes they never seen before, including at one point they had all 11 guys on the line of scrimmage. Yep. Who does that? That's insane. That's but brilliant. Can it use the hell out of a young oh, guy. Yeah, but can here's the thing, though. He's going to get more experience. He'll get better. He'll be able to see the defense is better. And I don't care how much game film you have on the guy. Can you scheme against the no-look pass? Or can you scheme against the throws that he can make and the way that he can make them? Sprinting full speed to his right, throwing across his body to the left, you know, sidelines you know, on a bullet pass to a guy moving. You know, I mean, he's got some like, – I was sitting there thinking about this uh, this morning. Maybe it was last night going like, how many kids out there right now are out there either with a baseball practicing Patrick Mahomes because they hear, you know, everybody talking on TV because he played shortstop all his throws or out there in the yard, you know, playing Patrick Mahomes. And are we going to see that in 15 years when that next group of kids, that crop of kids reaches the NFL, you know, that grew up playing, you know, backyard ball in a Patrick Mahomes style? 
Patrick Mahomes is a beast. That's your NFL guy so, right there. So much fun to watch. Oh, oh my absolutely. gosh. Amazing. There's been a lot of young quarterbacks recently that have been pretty damn good. Let's uh how about Josh Allen? I mean, that guy's been rushing yeah. around something serious. I never I thought that Lamar Jackson was the rusher out of this group. Hmm. See, here's the weird thing. In the whole draft process, there was not a lot talked about his rushing prowess. No. Obviously, he can he can maneuver. They knew that he wasn't a statue, but nobody talked about him rushing. And I saw a tweet from Bucky Brooks today kind of calling it out like, hmm, nobody suggested he move to tight end or wide receiver <laughs> to take advantage of his uh, rushing ability. Well, that's the thing. Nobody talked about his rushing ability. No. It wasn't a guy like Cam Newton. Cam Newton came into the league. He has a cannon for an arm. He's wildly inaccurate, and he's a great rusher of the football. Uh, he proved it at uh, Florida in a short time. He won a junior college and an NCAA national championship. Uh, the guy was a quarterback that was great at running. Josh Allen is showing us that he is capable of running the football. So that it's something that none of us really expected. And for a quarterback to run for 100 yards in three straight games, it's just yeah. crazy. Oh, it's it's insane. And we're seeing right now, we're seeing a new era of quarterback in the NFL. It's it's finally, we've always talked about, and everybody's talked about how there's just not enough quarterbacks to go around. There's not enough franchise quarterbacks. I think that we're starting to see that there there's going to be at least enough franchise quarterbacks over the next few years. You know, you've got guys like, you know, the Andrew Lux that are, are playing, you know, out well that have been there for a little bit. You've got, you know, Russell Wilson, Carson Wentz, Cam Newton is still uh, still good. Then, of course, all the young guys that you've seen, the rookies this year. I mean, you're seeing, you know, potentially the error of the quarterback, and I think the NFL is is better for it. Yes, sir. Yes. Yes, sir. I, I have to agree with you on that. It's um, so Josh Allen has uh, has Lamar tickled any fancies here for anybody? Hey, the guys three and one. They're running like a, a true old school power. eye with option elements. Uh, Lamar Jackson's going to figure out uh, progressions, throwing the football as he gets older, uh, which I'm, not going to lie, I'm really surprised that he uh, hasn't figured that out a little sooner considering the offense he played in at Louisville with Bobby Petrino is a pro-style spread offense. Yep. And But at the same time, they're not asking him to do a lot of those three progression uh, route concepts. So uh, give him a couple years. I would not be surprised if he is uh, one of the five best starting quarterbacks in football. He's just got yeah, his I, mechanics down, honestly. I, I looked at a picture of uh, him over the weekend, and I've noticed this. I even saw it at training camp when I wanted to go see him. He has a hard time withholding the football. He, it, um, it just blows my mind that his two middle fingers, his uh, ring finger and his middle finger, are so close together when it comes to gripping the football. You're supposed to keep them equally spread apart, but uh, he doesn't do that. He's got a grip problem. And he it shows sometimes with his heir apparent passes. Hey, you know what? If it works, it doesn't matter. Reggie Bush basically, or sorry, not Reggie Bush, Reggie Miller in the NBA basically yep. uh, uh, pushed the ball towards the basket, and he was one of the best three point shooters of all time. If it works, just keep going with it. The Browns are still in playoff contention right now, and it's December. 
I'm still just my goddamn mind is blown. Hey, this is <sighs> the new NFL, man. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. So um, let's see who else is in playoff contention. Still, we got the Seattle Seahawks. You guys think they're going to make it? They'd have yeah, to. Yeah, I think Russell utter- Wilson's gotten hot, and I don't think he's going to slow down. An utter collapse by the Seahawks is the only way they don't make it. I can see that. I'm just pulling up the uh, handy dandy playbook. This is riveting podcast information as I pull up the uh, playoff stats. So right now they're in the fifth seed. Um, the Vikings are in the sixth seed. How are you feeling about your Vikings right now, man? After um, I'm not gonna lie, I'm uh, I'm feeling more confident than most people just because I think the change in voice at offensive coordinator and how they call plays and game plan is going to make a big difference. I think we can sneak in as a 60th and all it takes uh, is one, one team just uh, we we've seen it time and time again. One team gets super hot. They can take the whole thing. The Steelers took it as a six seed in 2006. The Packers did it in 2010. It's not unprecedented. You get a team really hot with a good defense. The Vikings could be that team. Yep, and um, I think, like you said, the the Giants have done it, and I really believe that DeFilippo was a, you know, we were talking about Hugh Jackson being a a weight, you know, around the the neck of the entire Browns organization. I think DeFilippo really was a weight around the neck of the Vikings offense. I don't think he meshed well with Cousins or or Zimmer, obviously, or anybody there. So this quarterback, I think, coach uh, has a good relationship with Cousins and is running stuff that Cousins wants to run and is comfortable with. I think you could see a, a totally different team, a dangerous team now. Here's the interesting thing about the guy taking over Stefanski, except for uh, head trainer Eric Sugarman. He's the only leftover from Brad Childress. Brad Childress found him in 2009, and he's been been with the organization ever since. Wow. Uh, The guy um, uh, was blocked from uh, taking the offensive coordinator job with the New York Giants because Zimmer wanted to hold on to him for one more year. And the thinking was that he would become the offensive coordinator once Shermer left. But they gave it to DiFilippo, and they kept uh, Stefanski, which – I think it was a really good move. The guy's a great coach. I have heard that. And uh, I actually read the story today about how he was blocked from being able to be the offensive coordinator. I thought that the rule in the NFL was if it was a uh, promotion, they couldn't stop you from uh, being hired or interviewing for the job. Uh, That must be only head coach. Okay. Yeah. Only head coach. If you're still under contract, you can deny them the right to interview. But then once they, once you uh, let them interview, you pretty much can't stop them from taking another job. Yeah, that's that. That's got to be true. All right. So, um, believe it or not, still in playoff contention over on the AFC side is the Cincinnati Bengals for one more week. How uh, how cooked is that goose, guys? Oh, it's uh, it's about to be stuffed in that turkey to make one of those nice little fancy turduckins. Turduckin, you know, turduckin yes. I was hoping you'd say that. Um, yeah, it the the Bengals are done. It's only a matter of time before they're officially eliminated. They were done the moment they brought Hugh Jackson back. Oh God, yeah that <laughs> that game was. And why is that, guys? Why is it that they were done when they brought Hugh Jackson back? Hugh Jackson's a dumpster fire the worst coach in the history of the NFL. 
Damn, worse than Rod Marinelli? Rod Marinelli had a couple good years uh, with the Lions, even with the 0 16. Uh, he didn't uh, go 336 and 1 in just over two seasons. And Rod Marinelli also knew once he hit 0 16, he said, I'm not cut out to be a head coach and never did it again. I don't think he would have had a choice anyway, but that's just my thoughts. Um, speaking of people that are fired, uh, did you guys hear Mike McCarthy went back to the stadium to say goodbye one last time? Class move by the organization and McCarthy. Just that totally kudos all around to everyone. Yeah, that was awesome. I, I I get that he wanted to address the locker room, but then to go back to the stadium. Uh, what's next? Is he going to go back to the the training facility parking lot? And be like, this will be the last time that I'm at the training facility parking lot, guys. Well, it, you need to understand something about the Packers. Everything they have is within a three block radius. Uh, having just been to Lambeau Field, everything's right there. It's in the same complex. So by going back to the stadium, he basically went back to the practice facility. So it's not as big of a deal as it may seem. Just because everything is right there. Yeah, and that, and too often, I think in today's NFL, the firing, you know, of coaches, players, letting go of players, everything is done in way too cold of a manner, done in way too heartless of a manner. And it feels like the NFL takes the whole, the whole point of we're all still human beings out of it. So to see, uh, them handle it like human beings and also handle it in a mature way, you know, in an adult fashion. Again, that's too rarely seen in the NFL and it should be applauded and it should have been talked about probably uh, more by, by the talking heads in the media this week or last week. Mm. So do you guys think that you deserve to be fired? Yes. 100%. You can't, you can't underachieve with one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time uh, for that long and not lose your job. I mean, Ted Thompson lost his job because he failed to put any talent around him. Now, uh, Mike McCarthy loses his job for his part of not being able to win more with Aaron Rodgers. I'm surprised Bruce Arians doesn't want any part of that job. I think that speaks more to the kind of person and personality that Aaron Rodgers is more than anything else. Do you guys really think that he's that much of a diva as the media is starting to make him out to be? I've always heard it. Yeah, I I could see that. Um, he's had some hot ass girlfriends over the years. Though, I can tell you that much. <laughs> yeah. Well, that kind of money and fame, it wouldn't be that hard either. Yeah, I wish I had that kind of money and fame and that kind of Danica Kirkpatrick, or however you pronounce her name. That'd be nice. But uh, anyway, I'm getting into my my own mental thoughts there. Um, let's let's go ahead and do a little prediction here as far as the NFC is concerned. So, do you guys think that the uh, are you in uniform that you think that the standings are going to basically stay around the same way that they are now? At least those teams are going to make the playoffs, or do you think somebody's going to sneak in? I think the field's pretty much locked up the way it is. It's just a matter of, of seeding now just because I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the majority of the teams that are in uh, in the playoffs as of now have to go one and two, and the teams on the outside looking in have to go three and oh 
basically to make it. So I, I think with that and the teams that are on the outside looking in, you know, I think they're they're pretty much uh, they're pretty much done. Yeah. Can the defending champions come in and get back into the playoff uh, contention with the Rams at the Rams uh, versus the Texans at home and then at the Redskins? I think they're done. Uh, yeah. They're missing like their top five defensive backs. Uh, they just put Corey Clement and Josh Sweat on IR this afternoon. Like, I I think their goose is cooked, man. They're they're done. I don't think the Panthers have anything left, especially because they got to play the Saints twice. I don't think uh, the Redskins have anything left. They're going to start uh, Josh Johnson, who they just yes. signed a week ago at quarterback <laughs> this next joke. week. Oh, so that's official? Uh, yeah, yeah. They, they said that at the uh, press conference after the game. And then, uh, what, was, what was, yeah, there's really nobody else. The Packers could still run the gauntlet, but I don't think they're going to. I want you guys to picture this in your heads this weekend. So the Redskins are facing the Jaguars. It's going to be... Cody Kessler versus Josh Johnson. How riveting of a game is that going to be? Get your popcorn ready so you can eat it while watching Star Wars. Reminds me of the, I think it was what, Cody Kessler and Deshaun Kaiser matchup between Green Bay and and Cleveland last year, the year before. That was, oh, so riveting. I'd rather watch paint dry. Yeah, I mean, for most teams, think about in the NFC East, at least, with Philly being banged up as they are, Washington, you know, going through players where they are, uh, you know, the Panthers are are imploding. It's it's pretty much locked away, and, you know, Philly and, and Washington needs to get the old yeller treatment, go out behind the woodshed and put them out of their misery for the year. All right, AFC, what are you all thinking? I think if the Colts make the playoffs, they're making a run. You think the Andrew Luck run Colts are going to make something out of the playoffs if they were to get in? If they get in, right? I mean, right now it's a basically a four-way tie for that sixth seed. Uh, you got the Ravens. Uh, you've got the, the Dolphins. You've got the Colts. And uh, who's the fourth team? Titans. It's Titans. I think if the Colts make it in, I'm scared to death. Andrew Luck's on fire. They've uh, figured it out on the defensive side of the ball. All these young guys are playing with passion. Uh, Frank Reich is was probably the best coaching hire last year, and they lucked into that with McDaniel's turning them down last second. Yeah, I can probably agree with you on that because what would happen if Josh McDaniels came in to be a coach again? And with that uh, roster of talent that they have right now, I don't think that he would be able to manage them correctly. That's just my opinion. Uh, we really don't know, and it's all, it was also really hard because you don't know if you're getting a Andrew Luck at 100%. What was really uh, riveting was in uh, Peter King's conversations with him, Frank Reich didn't ask once about Andrew Luck's health in the process of the interviews. Like That's pretty crazy considering he's your dog and pony show, but that they've got a good young GM and Chris Ballard. They now have the head coach. They have their franchise quarterback locked up. And healthy, now they've got like 112 million bucks to play with, and they're going to do some damage. And I'm worried about them now, let alone next year and the year after. Yeah, but they're one play away from Jacob Brisket or Jacoby Brissett, whatever the hell his name is, coming in and playing in the NFL again. Well, Jacoby Brissett isn't like a Scott Tolzien or Curtis Painter. He's a fringe starter in the NFL. 
he played well with very limited knowledge of the offense they were running last yep. year. I'm calling him Jacob Brisket until he does something for me. I don't think he did very well last year. I mean, he won a couple of games, but I, I think uh, T.Y. had something to say about that and whatnot. That team was also a full dumpster fire last year. I think that, yeah. that's fair to say. Now they've got Andrew Luck. They had a really good draft. Quentin Nelson basically turned that offensive line into a top five unit in the league. Yeah, I have heard that uh, Quentin Nelson has been like the vocal leader on that offensive line. So it's pretty amazing for a rookie to come in and just turn that place around. It's And he's actually protecting Andrew Luck, which is amazing. Andrew Luck has never had that much time in the pocket. Yeah, that's very true. Well, no, and, and think about this, though, is talking about the Colts making this playoff run. How different would it have been if uh, Frank Reich would have played for the tie potentially earlier on the season instead of going for the win? That tie instead of a loss would have them in the playoffs right now, and they'd be basically controlling their own destiny entirely or have – okay, they would have some more leeway, I should say, because I think they do control their destiny, but they would have a little bit more leeway if he would have potentially played for that tie. Do you guys think it's possible that the uh, Ravens take over the AFC North? I think it's very possible, especially with the Steelers uh, likely losing their next two games with uh, the Patriots and the Saints. Yeah, I agree. So if you had to bet your money right now, who would you say is going to win the AFC North, Steelers or the Ravens? Ravens. Ravens. Ah, that feels so good to hear. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) I almost said Steelers just because I did not want you to feel that good. Oh, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) That's love right there. I was I was talking to Chef Chad about this the other day. Um, if they do actually make the playoffs and they do uh, win the division, we're going to go to that home game. I can tell you that much. I can't wait for that. We haven't had a home game since 2011. Um, nope, 2012. Uh, that was the last time we had a home uh, playoff game. That'll be awesome. I hope you have a chance to go. Me too. I really do. And uh, there's going to be some amazing uh, playoff games coming up here. If things stay where they're at right now, your team, Bobby, has got something to worry about. And uh, Tyler, your team's got something to worry about. I think uh, the Bears and the Seahawks are going to make some noise in the playoffs. The Seahawks could easily be that team that makes a run. Um, They could also be the team that, I mean, just look at the game last night. That offense only put up 14 points. Now, against a really good defense, they struggled. In the playoffs, if they go against that Bears team again, why wouldn't they struggle again just like they did earlier in the season? That Bears team is scary. They, they're able to come at you from all different angles. They're able to match up with you one-on-one on the outside. And they're able to do a lot of creative things with Vic Fangio as a coordinator. With Bobby Wagner over the center? Yeah, just uh, wait. Over I'm the... talking about the Bears defense, not oh, the Seahawks defense. My um, bad. I thought Vic Fangio. Oh, my God. I'm so out of it right now. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, I'd be worried uh, if I was the Seahawks about playing a really, really good defense. And you know what? I would be, too. Um, Cowboys are actually shaping up on defense. I'm actually pretty surprised. Uh, Bobby, who the hell was that first-round pick that you guys had this season? Vandersmash, Leighton Vanderesh. We have that pipeline of players from Boise. If you go back and look from Leighton Vanderesh to Demarcus Lawrence to Tyrone Crawford to Orlando Scandrick was here for a decade, 
we have a uh, we have a pipeline to those Boise players. We get the uh, we get the best ones. Seems like it. Uh, then, if I'm not mistaken, the thing on Van Der Esch was the uh, the health concern. He was uh, going to have a bit of an issue uh, staying healthy in the NFL. But it seems there was like- a little bit of concern about that, mainly because he played at Boise and his high school. He played eight man football in high school, so he never you know, really took on a full load. And then he wears that kind of old school neck board that comes out of his back, but he doesn't. Uh, he doesn't wear that for any particular reason other than he just, I think, likes the way it looks. Yeah, I think it looks pretty cool, too. I'm not going to See, yeah. Bobby, I don't think it was so much about the eight-man football. Everything I heard was about that neck-slash-back injury. Uh, I mean, Chad Greenway played eight-man football. when he like. I don't think that's a big issue because he played at a high level at Boise State. It was, it was everything injury, and there were a lot of teams that were scared off by it. From the the people that I know, there was no concern, at least with the Cowboys organization, about the injury. And uh, the stuff that I heard people concerned about was just his lack of playing time in in general, the fact that he hadn't played a lot of of major ball against high-level talent and didn't know how well it would translate. But you're probably right on that with with other teams not taking him off there. But I was was told that his his back-neck injury was, was nothing to be concerned about. That, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, if it, you're really concerned about that, you're probably not taking him at 19. Yeah. Well, and that eight-man football really helps him out, actually, because it's so wide open in the field. You have to make so many open field tackles and, and range from sideline to sideline. That's why he's so good at doing that right now. And you see he's got those long arms, too, that he just wraps up everybody. He never misses a tackle. And he's one of the first ones there every time where he's just a half a step off. You know, if you got caught up in some traffic, but damn, man, he is he is fast. He's athletic. And he's fun to watch too on defense. Especially it's like Dalen Smith. It's like when Sean Lee is healthy. Oh man, yes. When was Sean Lee when he was a little bit, a little bit younger? And Sean Lee was much better at knifing through the line and making that play in the in the backfield that way. While Van Der Esch is better at going through traffic at full speed and then hitting them at the, or cutting it off in the corner before they get to the edge. It's both slightly different ways of playing, but the results are the same. It's, oh man, it's, I love watching that kind of stuff. All right, guys, we've been chit-chatting for almost two hours now. So, um, hate to do this, but I think we got to call it a, call it a day on here, but, uh, final thoughts, playoffs, any surprises that you think are going to come out of this? Go ahead, I think I think a wild card team makes the Super Bowl. Not necessarily going to claim your stake to ASC or NFC, just a, a wild card team nope. in general. I don't fully trust anybody in the field to be that guarantee, except for possibly New England. But if they can find Baltimore, I think they're going down. I think we see a lot of chaos in the playoffs, and I think we see a wild card team make the Super Bowl. Bobby. Uh, I think that this is the year that you finally see a major officiating error affect the outcome of an AFC NFC championship game or the Super Bowl. And that's going to cause, you know, a, a landslide wave, whatever you want to call it, of speculation, change, heat on the NFL. That's what I think is going to happen. I think this is the year that we finally see the worst case scenario come true with the officiating. You want to hear some shit about my prediction? NFC, I predict that neither the number one or the number two seed are going to make it to the NFC championship game. Hmm. 
So you think the Bears will make it? I th- well, think if, the, if the Bears beat the Vikings, I think uh, I think the Bears would make it to the to the NFC Championship. Okay, that's just my bold prediction. Well, I can still I can definitely see that with the Rams. You see them in those big games, cold weather, which is you know or could happen in the playoffs. At some point, you see them uh, when they struggle. Goff came out and said it today. He's glad he's not in the cold anymore. And the Cowboys do have the Saints number. Yep. Yes, they do. So it's not completely insane. I mean, you guys were sitting here pondering for a minute when I said that. You're like, hmm, maybe. Uh, 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 that's crazy. I oh, wait, no, maybe not. Uh. No, I was thinking back to uh, 2011 or so with – Demarcus Ware when he had the messed up neck and went into super dumb against the undefeated Saints and we beat them at their house. We do have their number. So uh, could you imagine a situation where like the Seahawks win, the Vikings win, and they uh, get all the way up to the championship game and the fifth seed hosts the sixth seed? That would be something. Oh, I think it'd be great. That would be must-see television, in my opinion. I mean, there was one year, I think it was it was the year that Peyton made that big comeback against Tom Brady in the AFC Championship game after the 06 season. That was three versus four. So three got to host the uh, AFC title game. And I think that's the only time we've ever seen a one or neither the one or two seed make it. Yeah, that would be freaking impressive if that could be pulled off, but I'm not sure. I do think it's that the number one and two seeds are going down in the NFC because I think they're going to get us. They're going to get uh, the the defenses obviously aren't that great, and I think the offenses have been scouted already, and there's enough film on these guys to be able to make a determination. Yeah, but we are also talking about two of the best offensive minds in football who have no problem just uh, doing some backyard bullshit and – uh, we've seen it time and time again. The Saints and the Rams will just pull some weird rabbit out of the hat and they'll make it work. Or some other orifice. <laughs> <laughs> and we might see for the first time in what, seven years or something, you might see the Patriots not be the number one seed in the AFC. And I think it's seven years. It's, oh, well, make it maybe AFC championship game, whatever. They're looking more mortal this year, this late in the season. I'm thinking they might break that, that streak of consecutive championship games, whatever the hell it is. You have no idea how much I want to see that right now. I would love to see the end of the Patriots run of going to the AFC championship games. I'm so but, sick of it. But at the same time, Brady doesn't have much left. If, if any, don't you kind of want to see this – the greatest quarterback and coach in, in the history of the game get one last little so you can see that magic one more time. I don't want to see any asterisks <laughs> get on the field at any point. <laughs> uh, All right, guys, let's call it a day here. Um, do this again sometime soon. Absolutely. absolutely. All right. Thank you guys very much for coming back on the show. Another great podcast with at the real Forno and at PFTPM Posse. I love getting with these guys and talking football. It's just a great thing. And they're two of my good friends, so I can't really complain. It's just time spent with friends talking about football. Really nothing else to it. So until next week, ladies and gentlemen, 
I'm CJ Newman at the CJ Newman on Twitter. And this has been the Faft.